Hello there, I'm Patrick Strode, trusted authority in executive and transactional liability and founder of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. Now a proud member of the Liberty Company Insurance Broker Network. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Alan Clark, founder and managing partner of the Hatteras Group. Based in North Carolina, the Hatteras Group is a collaborative team of M&A advisors, professional intermediaries, leading business owners and entrepreneurs as they navigate the complex and often emotional process of selling or buying a business. And we're going to get into emotions today here. Uh, Alan, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you having me, Patrick. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Now, before we get in, into Hatteras Group, let's talk about you. What brought you to this point in your career? Well, um, it all started selling goat's milk and uh, goat manure when I was probably 10 or 12 years old. So that was the start of my entrepreneurial career. But um, yeah, so honestly, that's how I got started as a as an entrepreneur. I wound up going to college and got an engineering degree, but found my way right back to entrepreneurship by buying a small business in Atlanta probably 30 years ago. Wow. And then uh, about 24. It's 24 years because that's how old my daughter, my oldest daughter is. She was born and I needed to uh, change jobs. I was traveling. I had started a business uh, in the adhesive business with a partner. So I was traveling. My wife was traveling. We had a a daughter. So I need to be home more. So I sold my half of the business to my partner on an earn out. And that gave me a little a little cash flow to get into deal making. So I went to work for a, a Sunbelt business broker firm in Atlanta, Georgia. I started doing, uh, selling ice cream stores and candy shops. And uh, just over the years, kind of worked my way up the food chain, uh, teaching myself the business uh, and doing a little bit larger deals, a little more complicated deals. And uh, so now we do, it's all business to business. You know, we don't do retail. There's things we don't do. We're what you would call industry agnostic, which I, I could I could argue there's some benefit to that okay. uh, as an advisor, but uh, yeah. So now we do deals that range from probably two to twenty two million dollars in in transaction size. Okay, um, so some smaller, some a little bit larger, but it tends to be the market that's too small for the investment banker, mm-hmm. uh, but probably too large or maybe a little too complicated. Not a typical business broker sort okay. of. Or is 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 that outside the realm of like the SBA lending and things like that? No, that's right. That's in our sweet spot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, SBA loans go up to like $5 million now. So, yeah. So let's move on to Hatteras Group. Okay. Uh, before you tell us about that, how'd you come up with a name? Because you didn't name it Clark. <laughs> no, I never did appreciate just that. That was a little too easy. You know, Clark Advisors or Clark Brokers or whatever that might be. Uh, you know, and I, I, I like to think I had greater aspirations. But to be honest, when I had pets and things, I lived in Georgia, but my roots were in North Carolina. So I would name my pets and such to some North Carolina connection. And uh, so I just kind of thought about places that I had been and visited or lived. And I go to Ocracoke Island, which is on the Outer Banks of North Carolina every year, but that's a tongue twister, very unique, but a little too hard to say. And then, so I just started thinking about that and Hatteras, Hatteras Lighthouse and Cape Hatteras is a, uh, you know, it's a well-known uh, spot in North Carolina. And then the lighthouse kind of gave some 
it's symbol symbolism of direction and, yeah. and lost in the fog. I kind of every now and then I come up with all kind of uh, you know uh, analogies to being lost right. in the fog and giving you yeah. some direction, and that's right. why I'm here. <laughs> and, and bringing people into a safe harbor. So I think that's I think, that's, that's, I, I think that's really things. well done. And now yeah. you've been do, you've been doing this for over uh, over twenty years. You haven't gone up market. You found a nice little niche between the really tiny and the and the lower middle market. You know, to mid market. Talk about that. Why haven't you expanded any larger? And and get into your commitment to this section of the of the industry. I really think I'll be at, honest, Patrick. I think it's that's the group of people, the group of business owners that need the most help. And it's yeah. it's a little bit of you know, could I make maybe more on a transaction if I went to a hundred million dollar deal? You know, maybe. But I'm I'm not the Harvard MBA. I'm your blue collar, past business owner, current business owner. I have two other companies outside of this, so I kind of that's the people I relate to. That's the people who I feel like we can provide. Uh, the most value to. So, you, you know, it's, we can provide investment banker like services with 80% or better of investment banker resources to the group that the investment banker can't afford to pick up their yeah. pen. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, instead of a hundred thousand dollar check, we might have a 10, you know, five, 10, $20,000 retainer, you, you know, built in uh, our fee structure. You know, we have limited overhead. We're essentially a virtual company yeah. with five advisors working together now. And so that that's just what fits us better. And, and, you know, and you've got all the experience. Not trying to be something we're not. We're just, we're transparent. Like I said, nobody in our group, uh, actually the guy I just brought on, he has an MBA. So I got to, can't use that tagline anymore. Okay. <laughs> well, that's well. I think this is this is ideal, and why I really appreciate having you and the Hatteras Group here because there are a lot of owners and founders that they've got to that point of inflection where they're too big to be small, but they're too small to be enterprise. They are just outside the realm of the business broker, or it's a stretch for the business broker. Although a lot of them are very professional, but it's a little stretch on that side. And that, as you said, the invest investment bankers. If they were to come down, they're going to overcharge and probably underserve them for no other reason than they're geared more for larger deals. Yeah. And so this is great to have a solution that you can deliver. And, and I appreciate you being here. We're going to make sure we amplify uh, Hatteras Group for this real appreciate large it. swath of people that are in need and have wonderful resources and can afford to benefit from what you deliver. And yeah. let's talk about what you deliver. Um, you've got the experience and you talk about how you're, you know, uh, shepherding people through not only the technical and the logistical, but the emotional part. What does the Hatteras Group bring to the table for your clients? Well, so the, the bulk of the work we do is sell side engagements. We, we offer, you know, we can help people secure debt and equity funding. We can uh, work on buy side engagements and do exclusive uh, proprietary searches uh, on the buy side. But 90% of what we do, and we, I feel like we do our best work uh, when we're engaged by an owner and take that business to market. So again, we're using a process that looks like an investment banker more than a business broker. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in addition to putting it into the online uh, classified ads, quote unquote, you know, of uh, businesses for sale, we're also going to research for potential strategic buyers, mm -hmm. uh, potential add-ons to portfolio companies, uh, private equity firms. Uh, so in the end, about half the deals we do 
are with the new owner operators filling a role and other half are with other existing companies or private equity backed uh, companies. Yeah. So you're going to find where the fit, I mean, that's very helpful. So you've got a kind of the network and you know, actually who the good players are and who are the ones that just want to kick the tires. Yeah. And we really, so our, our initial contact with an owner is generally you're real close to the person you're going to wind up leading the transaction to the end. I might be an initial point of contact, but then I'm going to bring in as we pitch an engagement to an owner and go take that business to market. We're going to have one of my other advisors be the lead lead on that project. And then essentially I back everybody up. So I'm, I'm familiar with all the projects. Uh, occasionally we'll get two advisors working on something uh, for different reasons. Uh, you know, just bringing everybody's strength to the table and and doing the best work we can for clients. Well, I, I, I can't tell you one of the biggest skills that you have to have service-wise, you just have to be responsive. Even if nothing is happening, and as yeah. you get more team members involved with, with a project, then you got responsiveness because that's absolutely key. Yeah, and, and communication is key. I, I think we're translators in a lot of ways. I was yeah. talking to somebody else today explaining, you know, you bring a blue collar business owner who's built a great business they're at the table with uh, uh, in a room with half a dozen MBAs from some private equity group. Those guys don't necessarily speak the same language. And so we're there to help make sure they understand each other. You know, well, there, there's a dynamic there, too. And, um, and if we could talk about this, because you and I, we didn't do this in the pre-show, but, um, you know, there's a, a human dynamic with that because you'll have the blue collar professional, the owner operator, and then a room full of credentialed MBAs. And there's almost like an intimidation factor there. Absolutely. And, and there's also a situation where the seller, they're not naive or um, simple. They're, they're just inexperienced in the transaction process. And Absolutely. so you got a very inexperienced person on one side who probably get it, but they're on one side of the table and the other side of the table are very experienced people. And it's really, and it's not their business at risk as opposed to it. So could you give us some insight on, on the emotional? No, I think that's the, that's the lot of the, that's the big chunk of the value we bring to the table. You know, when they're throwing out, you know, a, a 20 page due diligence list, you yeah. know, and, and the initial, you know, this business owner, he's never seen anything like that. He has, he doesn't understand why they need so much information uh, so we have to coach them through that, educate them on that process, explain what's, you know, customary, what's not customary. You know, it's, it's our job to vet those buyers and bring the best possible fits to the table. But yeah, and it can be very emotional because you're a business owner. You're usually leading a group. You're not, you're not used to being vulnerable and, yeah. and really opening up your Komodo, so to speak. And let everybody, you know, see what's in there, and tell you what's uh, wrong with it. Yeah, and and tell you what's wrong with it. So you got to keep help them keep their ego in check, uh, and just keep those emotions in check. It, it is an emotional process, you know. Mo most business owners we talk to, you know, especially in the early part of the process, they talk about taking care of their people as much as taking care of their money, right? Okay, Take care yeah. of my, you know, we only want to sell it if somebody's going to keep them here, keep them employed, yeah. take care of my people, treat them well. And so even that we have to help educate on the front end. It's a preconceived notion that companies buy other companies to fire people and reorganize yeah. them. And yeah. so we have to educate the owners that the reason somebody's buying your business is probably because of your people. 99% 
Is that because you've organized a great group of people that produce a great product and service and generates cash flow, and that's why they want to buy it. So um, we, we don't, you don't want to let your employees know because you don't want to create a, a, a period of uncertainty, yes. you know, in the three to six months that you're trying to put a deal together. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so sometimes we have to walk business owners through that because they've been so accustomed to being totally transparent. They feel like they're not being honest with their employees and we have to educate them and say, no, you're looking out for them. Just like a parent looking out for their kids. You don't, you know, you, you give them the information they need and don't create a, a, a uncertainty without, you know, it being necessary. Absolutely. No, you hit the nail on the head. And I mean, particularly in the technology sector, you're bringing over dev teams and coding teams and all those folks. And uh, in this environment, it's even more critical because you've got a lot of the kids that are doing that early retirement or uh, great resignation. You know, a lot <laughs> of people that don't want to go into work. And so those organizations that have teams that are in-house, those are like gold. And you got to yeah. do everything you can to protect them when you were the buyer, because the last thing you need to do is once you great, get grab that great team is all of a sudden have to start replacing people. And they're not prepared to do that necessarily. And so right. that comes in. One of the questions I had about with this, with the with your clients, the owners and founders, uh, what percentage of them are exiting and what percentage are rolling over uh, and, and bringing the, man, the whole management team with them? That's a good question, Patrick. I'd say... My gut would say 80% are selling to exit, um, maybe, maybe upwards of 90. And I do think that the playbook to sell a business when you're pre retirement, you know, 10 years before retirement, I think that's a great play to make. If you have a nice business and you want to take some chips off the table, I pitch this to a lot of owners. The truth is the majority of owners do not plan to sell their business. They do not plan for a proper exit and they're calling me or they're responding to my phone call or email when they're totally fed up and ready to get out. Yeah. So when I say, hey, would you like another five or 10 years and a shot of turning a chunk of your business, 20, 30 percent of it into a bigger pot yeah. of money? No, I just want out of it. I've just wow. my wife has been on my butt for she, I'm not going <laughs> fishing enough. She wants to stay at the beach more. You know, the, they, they've built a nice life. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's uh, I see that quite a bit. But I do. We do have, you know, if we do and we're not we're not a high volume shop. So we're going to do five or 10 deals, you know, maybe 12 deals in a year between has been four of us. You know, maybe one or two of those are situations where they're doing that rollback like you have in mind. Uh, one of the ones we have right now, it's an eight, eight plus million dollar deal. They've, they've agreed to take 20% back. Mm, okay. I roll that back across and reinvest. And I think it's going to be a great, great outcome for them. Okay, great. Well, and one of the things that's facilitating a lot of these transactions, because we're at a all time high in the last couple of years, is that the insurance industry came in and found a way to transfer a great large amount of the risk in M&A away from the parties and over to a third party, an insurance company. And that's yeah. in the indemnification section where in the event the seller disclosures or the seller reps are inaccurate and they slip through the buyer's diligence and then post-closing, those incorrect reps cost the buyer money then the buyer has a chance to either absorb the escrow that they held out there or they claw back uh, proceeds from the seller. And right. that possibility can create a great amount of tension. I can imagine, you know, 
when you're with your client, that comes up at the latter part of the negotiations where they're kind of, they're, they see the end there. And then yeah. all of a sudden you have the indemnification conversation. Yeah. What's great is there's a product called reps and warranties insurance, which for the buyer can go ahead and step in the shoes of the seller. And in the event, the buyer suffers a financial loss as a, a result of the breach buyer, rather than pursuing the seller, goes up and uh, just goes to the insurance policy. There is now a new program out there for deals that are even smaller than, than the traditional buy side rep. But, you know, before I get into too much, you know, Alan, good, bad, or indifferent, what experience have you guys had with rep and warranty insurance? No, I appreciate that. The, um, I think we talked about that before. We've had not a lot of experience with that type of insurance. Uh, I think it's like, just like we're trying to bring investment banker like services to the lower end of the market, uh, you're bringing that insurance product down to that lower end of the market. And you've been a great resource to educate me on some of these things. So I don't think we've, in my experience, we've not had a deal blow up yet because of it, yep. but I, it has been, those are contentious times when you're negotiating those reps and warrants, and I can absolutely see it tearing a deal up. So I'm glad to have that in my quiver now as another tool yeah. And I imagine it won't be long before we will bring that to the table and 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 be using that to make sure a deal closes or closes a little more smooth. You yeah. Know, than before. Well, yeah. What we're referencing to is a new product. It's a sell side policy as opposed to a traditional buy side rep and warranty policy. Under a sell side policy, the seller, not the buyer, is the policyholder. The policy is triggered when the seller receives a demand notice from the buyer advising there's been a breach. It's cost this much. Pay us. And so what the seller does is simply takes that demand letter or email, sends it up to their insurance carrier, the insurance carrier contacts the buyer, and they negotiate a settlement and get it taken care of. So then the, the seller's funds aren't at risk. The seller gets that clean exit. What's been great about this is it is a policy that is built specifically for deals that are priced between a million and 30 million in enterprise value. That's the blind spot for the uh, buy side rep and warranty. They prefer doing the much larger deals, which will require extensive diligence and exp extensive expenses. The uh, sell side policy is priced at fifteen to twenty thousand dollars per million dollars in coverage. So it doesn't matter the size of the deal; it's just how much insurance you're going to buy. Okay, unlike a buy side policy, which has an underwriting fee that's paid up front, which is between forty and fifty thousand dollars, sell side policy has no fee. Okay, they rely on an insurance application just like 99% of every other insurance policy out there. And when you consider the savings and costs, the ability to provide protection for the seller, that lowers the temperature in the room. All of a sudden now, these uh, potentially contentious uh, negotiations go away. And for the buyer, they have you know the peace of mind that look there's a pot of money from an insurance company that they can collect this so they don't have to pursue the seller for a clawback number one and number two in most cases is free to the buyer yeah that's the, sells, in the right uh, under the right circumstances Patrick, that sounds like a, a no-brainer to me i that's uh, that that's how we like to and, think about it and each industry has different uh, risk profiles and yep. risk issues. And so in certain industries, it's going to make more sense than others, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're definitely and, keeping our eyes out yeah. for that. And now. so we're, we're, we're built in for that, but it's one of the things that by, you know, speaking to you and other professionals in the lower middle market, a lot of people did not know this product existed. And up until a year ago, it didn't, but we're pleased to have it out here. And it's been one that quite frankly, even if the buyer wanted to get rep and warranty insurance and, uh, you know, 
cooperate with their counterparty. A lot of times they just can't, you know, get over the cost or the eligibility requirements because there's extensive due diligence, third-party diligence that the buy side policies require. And it's just, it, it just isn't affordable. So this is a real elegant solution for both of those. So we're very pleased to get out there and be around the movers and shakers like Hatteras Group and, um, and, and talk about that. And those those policies are they? I'm sure they have caps. They have buckets with caps or uh, yep. overall caps and that sort of thing. We can we can set it. We can insure all the way up to the full purchase price, uh, up to twenty million dollars. We can do up to thirty million dollar deal, but the maximum we can write right now is a twenty million dollar limit. And uh, there is no deductible to the buyer for for this. So if there's a, a seller buyer deductible or basket within the agreement that's fine. This policy is intended to sit on top of that. And yeah. so it would move forward. Where we see it happening quite often are where uh in uh technology deals where IP reps uh uh the buyer wants those to be fundamental, we would insure the IP reps up to the purchase price up to $20 million. And that's yeah. a that's a source of comfort because a lot yeah, of sellers powerful. usually they usually only have a million dollar, you know, policy that'll protect them. So this would sit above that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, let's talk about that for going forward, Alan. Um, we're we're wrapping up the year. We're looking into 2023. And you and I spoke earlier. You've got a nice flurry of deals at the end of the year, which is great. What trends do you see next year? Um, trends that I see, I mean, I've seen it for a long time. I don't think it's anything new, but overall, just this, I call it the Walmart effect, mm. uh, that every industry is consolidating. You can no longer be a small, inefficient business. You have to be, you can be small, but you have to be highly efficient managing your cost, whether you're a manufacturer or service provider, but almost every industry has, uh, you know, uh, movements to consolidate. Um, whether it's just into holding companies that that still create some some value uh, in back office and things to really making acquisitions in loan care or digital marketing or or, or whatever it might be that they integrate those companies, you, you know, but I call that the Walmart effect. I've seen that for years. You don't have small mom and pop uh, machine shops and things anymore. And I think my in my head, it's it's uh, I'll tell you something that is going to is against the grain. Everybody loves to talk about this silver tsunami, all these businesses that are getting ready to come to market because they're baby boomers that own them. Yes. That, yeah. That's a total farce. Okay. Mm. Now, okay. My theory, my theory is that as many as 80% of those businesses are zombie businesses, mm. that they have business owners that have paid the debts off, created lifestyle businesses, have not managed them over the last five to 10 years to grow. They've managed them to not create more risk. And they're just, they're zombie companies that most buyers would not buy. So I'm going to be a contrarian <laughs> in that. And uh, that's, I'll throw that out there. What do you think of that theory? Patrick? No, I, you, ju you just gave us our tagline to, for this is going to be clicking <laughs> like crazy. We're going to be sitting there, the zombie business phenomenon. Great. I mean, that, that works These out. More search well. funders that, that think they're getting into this pool with a ton of great looking fish to catch mm -hmm. and they've got the perfect bait. They're going to catch a bunch of zombies. They're going to catch a wow. bunch of suckers and things they're going to throw back. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, the, the, the world a lot of those folks never changed. They never caught up. They got a smartphone, but then they never really integrated new technology, yeah. new processes, new ideas in their business. So they have 
a little machine shop or they've got some service company that yeah. is just outdated and their 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 call structure is not in line with the rest of the industry and nobody's going to buy it. Alan, how can our audience members find you? Uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty easy to find. Basically, go to our website. It's hatterasgroup.com. Uh, Hatteras is maybe hard to spell. H-A-T-T-E-R-A-S group.com. There's a lighthouse off the coast of North Carolina. Look it up. You can visit. Um, and I'm actually in the opposite side of the state. So I get that lots of times. Folks think I'm think I'm out sitting fishing in the beach, but I'm actually in the foothills of North Carolina. Excellent. Well, let's see if we can get a couple, couple more folks coming your way. But uh, you guys have a great uh, benefit you're bringing. And I, I think that's wonderful when my guests are just bringing tremendous value and we can highlight you. So, Alan, really appreciate you. Thank you for the show today. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate you having me.